Thank you. I was not expecting to be overwhelmed by that hymn. Uh, it took me back to my childhood and growing up in the church. And um, so. That's not a word from our sponsor. <laughs> we have been traversing the top ten list of God these past several weeks as we have been exploring and, and grappling with the Ten Commandments. Some of you are probably getting so familiar with them that you could recite them with me, right? All ten? Let's start from the top. You shall not covet. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not steal. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not kill. Honor your father and your mother. Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You are not to take the Lord's name in vain. You are not to make any graven images or idols. And you shall have no other gods before me. That's it. That's God's top ten list. And God wants a place in our lives that few of us are able to do all the time. God wants to be majestic, omnipresent, mysterious, awesome, incredible, and all-loving. And do you know what? God is. God is. And that's why the two commandments we're looking at today are placed at the top of the list. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself idols. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. The question is not so much, do you believe in God? But which God do you believe in and which God do you really worship? Most of us can only think of, of our God. And that's, that's monotheism. Christianity. And few of us can imagine worshipping a graven image like, like a golden calf. But that was about 3,000 years ago. And this is now. And our gods are much more subtle, and yet pervasive. Now, some of you listening aren't going to get it today. You aren't going to see what all this is really about, because it necessitates changes in the ways one prioritizes and lives life, and it is not simply lip service, but a life of worship and service to God. Idolatry is the elevation of preliminary concern to ultimacy. Something essentially finite is given infinite significance. Idolatry is overvalued 
values. Idolatry is putting anything other than God at the very center of our lives. What is at the very core of our being? Where do we put the central focus of our lives? Materialism is one of those subtle gods. And here's how Jim Wallace puts it. Desert mirages appear to be water, which is desperately needed, but they are an illusion, a trick of the sun, heat, and sand. When you see a mirage, you head toward it, moving faster and faster until finally you plunge headlong right into it, but all you get is a mouthful of sand. Advertising is the false spirituality of materialism, promising what it can never ever deliver. Even the slogans of advertising sound religious, some of them, using the language of ultimate concern. I'm going to leave off the product name, but you might be able to fill it in. One says, blank, something to believe in. Another says, blank, it doesn't get any better. Another says, blank, we bring good things to life. Now, Is not the essence of idolatry a misdirected worship? But promises are an illusion, and a mirage is a very dangerous thing. He concludes, All of life has been reduced to consumption. We sacrifice our souls for the mirage of glittering images, and all we get is a mouthful of sand. We have run after mirages in the desert, and now... Here's the key. The desert is in us. The desert can be in us. What is at the core of our life's focus? Because I'm afraid God doesn't really have the place God wants in many of our lives. And many of us have swallowed more sand than we would care to admit I have. And now that there are more malls and shopping centers, at least this was before the pandemic, I don't know how many closed, but before the pandemic there were more malls and shopping centers in the United States than there are schools. I wish more of us could say something like like this grandfather from Kentucky many years ago when he, he went to a larger city and and went to his very first mall. He said, Never in my life have I seen so many things I can do without. <laughs> Materialism can be an idol. And let's not kid ourselves. For some, it could be, you know, a boat, a car, clothes, jewelry, and other things. And for others, it can be the pursuit of many things. The second commandment says that we are not to worship any, any handmade, the, old, the way we used to say it, man-made product, but a home good product or something that can be made with human hands. And if asked, few if any would say that we worship those things. I mean, who here is going to put their hand up if I said, do you worship any of those things? Nobody's going to do that. But 
if we take a closer look and examine how much time is devoted to such things, worrying about them and fussing over them, compared to the amount of time dedicated to God, some telling truths emerge. Rabbi Abraham Heschel has added a great deal of insight to our Judeo-Christian heritage in understanding our relationship to God and to one another. Here's what he writes. At a party, a guest turned to Heschel and said, In the town of Poland, where I came from, I knew an old man. He would rise at the outlandish hour of five o'clock in the morning, make his way to the synagogue, where he would proceed to disturb everyone with his loud, endless prayers and his study, never pausing for breakfast or lunch until about five o'clock in the afternoon when he took some nourishment. Now tell me, is that what you call religion? Is that a sensible life for a man? Heschel was pained, but he listened thoughtfully, and then he replied, Isn't that strange? I know someone right here in New York City, which is where he lived. He is almost the exact parallel of that old man. He gets up too early in the morning, devotes himself with single-minded passion to his work, hardly tastes food during the day until late afternoon. Indeed, he worked so hard that at 42, he suffered a stroke. There's only one difference between the two. The purpose of this one's work is money. Now tell me, is such behavior commensurate with reason or common sense? Yet you belittle the one and probably admire the other? Why? The reply came, But that old man, he didn't do anything with his life. Who cared about his prayer and study? And Heschel said, Did it ever occur to you that maybe God does? Maybe God does? Friends, Jesus our Lord invites us to to store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt. But money and its pursuit can be just like another god. Oh, not, not when we think of ourselves. Let's, let's be clear. Not when we think of ourselves, but we can see it in other people. When we see other people pursuing money too much, we see it there, but, but not in ourselves. Yet again, how much time do you spend looking at your investments, going online, or going to the bank, worrying or thinking about money? For many, it's a great deal more energy and concern that is put into nurturing a relationship with the one true God. Back in the days when, when many Christians were, were baptized in rivers or lakes or the ocean, a Christian who had, a, a man who had become a Christian uh, in later life went to the pastor to be baptized and the pastor said, okay. And so it was by immersion, okay. And the pastor noticed that the man's billfold was in his back pocket and he, he mentioned that he might want to take out his billfold. And the man quickly responded, no, Reverend, when I get baptized, my wallet gets baptized too. Now, we don't immerse in our tradition, yet the point's clear. Wouldn't it be wise to envision our wallets, our purses being baptized 
if we were to keep a right prioritizing in our valuing of things and God. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes, where thieves do not break in, for where your treasure is, there will be your heart as well. And as Martin Luther said, where you hang your heart, there is your God. Where we invest the largest portion cumulatively of our time, energy, thinking, and resources, there is our God. But that's what's really important. It's what's at the center. It's what you live for. It can be putting yourself at the center. And in addition to money and materialism, it can be, it can be athletics, status, power, or any number of things, even including other people. Remember, it's what you live for and how you direct the real energy of your real self. Now, I hear some people say, I live for my children and for my family. And that's okay. Family is very important. But I know some people who worship their family. And that's a loss in their relationship to God. They give lip service to God, but family is by far and away the most important thing. When God is number one, God is the ultimate source of presence, reality in our lives, everything else is penultimate, even our family. We will lose our family, or our families will lose us. God never loses us, and we never lose God, and neither does our family. Having a right prioritization in life does not make it an either-or, but it makes it a point of ultimacy. And God is the only ultimate being in our lives. When the children of Israel were worshiping a golden calf, as Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments, they weren't calling for abandoning God. They were simply looking to the visible world when they couldn't make sense of the invisible world. And who of us has made sense, complete sense, of the invisible? And yet we so often fill up our lives with things and people as though that will give us fulfillment. God's top ten list is calling us to make a choice. We've, we've made it already by our commitment and value choices. Anything that begins to pull us away from knowing the Ten Commandments begins to act as a God in our lives. Anything that pulls us away. Anything which seduces us away from Sabbath worship has a pull equal to a golden calf. It's just much more subtle. And there are lots of activities which are more fun and more immediate than worshiping God. 
But let's face it. That's what the top two of God's top ten are all about. Our culture no longer suffers so much from a generation gap, but from a veneration gap. A veneration gap. We have lost a sense of awe, of mystery, majesty, and total respect for God, which is what worship helps us to do. Every week it reminds us to get our priorities back in order to put God at the center of our lives and our focus. And when we respect God that much, we are led to respect others. All others. But I dare say that respect is lacking in our culture and in our time. Reverence. Respect and reverence are the response of body and soul, one's true life energy to the lofty mysteries, to the deeply felt and only partially understood ultimacy of life. Why? Because we are not to make any images, graven or otherwise, to in any way replace God as the central focus in our lives. But at times we do. Let's be honest. We all do. We all struggle with with things, activities, and people which we can all too casually and easily put at the center of our life's focus. When when St. Ignatius of Loyola made his decision to serve God in earnest, the devil badgered him. You can't keep this up for 50 or 60 years. Ignatius retorted, 50 or 60 years? Who promises me that length of life? I'll keep this up until noon, and if alive, until evening. The business of honoring the Ten Commandments, all of them, is no easy task. No one, no one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, be devoted to the one or despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve God and wealth or any other attachment, any other involvement, or any other loyalty. God needs to come first. As Scripture says, you shall worship the Lord your God, and God only shall you serve. All right, one last time. You shall not covet. You shall not bear false witness, lie, trash talk, none of that. You shall not steal, take anything from another person, not just material things, their dignity. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not kill. You shall not kill anything that is life-giving to another person. Honor your father and your mother. 
Honor the mystery of your creation. Honor the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Don't take God's name in vain. Don't make it meaningless and worthless. And don't make any anything, any material things, other focuses of your life, something that you worship. And don't have any other gods before the one true ultimate God. So we've taken these Ten Commandments in reverse order. And a significant learning for me is that if we honor all the other eight, these top ones fall right into place. So whose God is it? Whose God is it? And remember, pick your God carefully because there are lots to choose from. Whose God is it? Yours. Yours. The one and only God, for God has already chosen you and joined you to God's self. I'd like to let William Cowper's spiritual principle have the closing word. Every idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only, only thee. Friends, Let's do it. Let's do it the best we know how and the best we can. Let's truly worship God and no other.